Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 111 of Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen is with me. I'm Steve Olson, your regular host. Y'all tune in for Kurt, and he's the one that has the good things to say, and I'm the one that butchers it along the way. How you doing, Kurt? Hey, I'm feeling good. I'm in the holiday spirit. You want to know why? Holiday spirit. I, <laughs> I, I think we in, need to know why. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday, I was in Franken Moose, Michigan. <laughs> what is Franken Moose, Michigan? to 300 police officers. This is a... German town of all places. It's all German. Looks like you're in Germany. And the largest Christmas store in the world is in this town. I mean, it's huge. It's like the size of Walmart. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. Did you but, wear lederhosen? Uh, I didn't wear them. Some, a lot of people were wearing them. But anyway, shout out to the police officers. I didn't get shot. That's a good thing. We talked about other forms of influence and uh, had a good time in this little German town that was full of Christmas. Wow. <laughs> Well, see, I always thought that Santa Claus, Indiana, had the edge there, but they don't have a Walmart-sized Christmas store. It was store. huge. They had Christmas bulbs the size of, I was going to say my head, but I say 10 times the size of my head. <laughs> Just, I don't know what you do with them, but they're on sale. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your automated Santa Claus or a regular Santa Claus, you can get this tree. You, you have, Oh, here are the bulbs for cheerleaders. Here are the bulbs for football players. Here are the bulbs for... <laughs> everything it was just like why did it just blew my mind i mean it was, i had to leave it was an aneurysm waiting to happen a there was too much and b it just reminded me of getting out the tree and getting out all that <laughs> oh, right it's coming so i don't need more of that it's i don't need coming more stuff to get out. <laughs> yeah you're going to be more prepared for us for it than the rest of us i want to ask you you're doing this influence training for police officers and mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about power and perceived power and obviously these guys have the badge and the gun, and you comply because they know you know that they can take you to jail if you do not do what they say. So, you know, they're used to getting what they, they want and accomplishing things through just, well, not necessarily having to exert force, but kind of throw it out there. Of, hey, if you don't do this, you know, get up against the car, put your hands behind your back kind of a thing. What did you think was the most interesting thing for them to really kind of have an aha moment about? Well, the big issue is they know they have a challenge. In the past, that's how it worked. Hey, please, okay, I'll do it. Now, with the new generation and what the media's done and what's happened out there, a lot of the people are saying, no, I'm not going to. You can't make me. And they don't see them with power and authority anymore, and they have to resort to other forms of influence. Because, sure, you can shoot somebody, you can taser somebody, but that's not always the best thing to do, especially when they don't agree with you or don't want to do what you say or they're videotaping you. They've got all these issues now to where that power and authority is not where it used to be. And now they need to do what's called tactical disengagement or emotional intelligence to where they got to be with the community. They got to build more trust. They have to have more tools. In the past, it worked great. No problem. No issue. Now it's not working and they're starting to panic a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a undercurrent. A big theme in society is lack of trust of police officers. Uh, it's That's a very polarizing topic right now. And it's bigger than that. I think it goes to parents, it goes to CEOs, it goes to your managers where maybe a millennial might say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, well, it's your job. No, I don't feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, 
well, where's that coming from? And so it's a huge issue all the way across the board, even with business, to where authority and power are just starting to fizzle and fade. And it used to be a great thing to say, do it, you're fired. And we knew that was short term, but at least it worked. Now it's not even working anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's in the age of, of YouTube and smartphones and videos, too. Who's taping you, right? And I think the police know this. The the bias, the citizenry knows this, that, hey, we can you know, tape this interaction and you might get me handcuffed now and book me, but you're going to wish you hadn't, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> when, when there's that opportunity for people to see you exerting force and really see what happened instead of have a whole he said, she said, ooh, yeah, diff- different set of cars entirely. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I had a police escort from the airport. Oh, wow. And I sat in the front, luckily, not in the back, but (laughs) I asked both of them about the video camera because they have an audio and a camera now, and now they're putting them on their person. And I said, do do you like that? And they both said, yes, it's great because people will throw out the race card or they'll say that we abuse them, and right there it's recorded. So they like it. At first they didn't. They thought it was Big Brother, but it's helping and protecting them more than it's hurting them. Yeah, and it took a lot of this national stuff happening for them to change their mind on that, I think, where they can just say, hey, here's the video. Big guy in the sky doesn't lie, as they say in football. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That'll certainly do it. Yeah, you don't want the lieutenant reaming you out for not following Regulation 27B, right? Handcuffs were on the left side of your belt instead of the, the right, as opposed to, I pulled this guy over and there was a big confrontation and he's saying this and we gotta have the video to show what really happened. Exactly. So they all agreed now that they got used to it. This is going to be a beneficial thing for everyone. For everyone. Yeah. The the citizenry, the police, it's all, it's a, it's a transparent thing now. There's nothing to argue about. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. It'll really help out. Yeah. Well, that's good. Good trip to Michigan. Frank and the Moose. police officers. Yeah. Frank and Moose. <laughs> Frank and Moose. My German friends just tell me if I'm saying that right. <laughs> <laughs> did you get German food while you were in Frankenmoose, or did you just kind of? Oh, sure. I had some German food, and their big famous thing is this chicken, this fried chicken that's really good. So it was, it was old. The whole town was German, German everything. And it looked German, just with the river coming through and the architecture. And I stayed at the Bavarian Inn. Of course you did. Of course, and the ironic thing, my wife's in Germany right now hanging out, so I'm like, wait a minute, what's, this is a little too ironic. <laughs> yeah, you, she got the real deal. You got Frankenmoose. Yeah, I got the Christmas capital. No, I mean, we're not trying to insult Frankenmoose, I'm sure. it's. No, it was a great town. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, is it up in the top of Michigan, in the mid, or is it down low? It's uh, It was a half hour from Flint, I think 90 minutes from Detroit, so not too far. It's a huge tourist trap. I hadn't been there before, so... Oh. Well, now we know more about Frankenmoose than we ever thought. Thank you for educating. There you go. You learned at least one thing today. Yeah. Should we sign off now that we learned the thing? Because I'm going to screw it up. That's the one thing. And we got it. Well, we haven't offended anybody yet, so we got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. We got close on the Frankenmoose, but ultimately decided (laughs) we did. I I, I reeled back a little bit. We saved ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, good. Good. We have an awesome geeky article today brought to us by Kurt, who's who's fresh from his trip and has a article about the five core skills of hostage negotiators. Mm, Mm. Yeah, this is from our friends at Psychology Today. And it's about law enforcement, obviously, where there's crisis situations, there's the negotiation. We've seen the films before. And it's interesting, as I've trained police officers and even military interrogators, how what the movies show and what actually happens tend to be two very different things. I mean, the goal in a negotiation is, of course, to defuse a situation. So... I thought it was interesting, the five core skills of hostage negotiators. We'll post the link online. Number one, they said active listening. 
And they said, use an open-ended questions, mirroring them, reflecting, paraphrasing. So active listening is, hey, so what you're saying, well, why do you say that? Why do you think that? Is this is what you feel? Let me see if I've got this right. And that's a big one to make sure what they're saying and what you're getting are the same thing, which is critical in, a, say, a hostage negotiation because you want to make sure you're on the same page, you know exactly what they want and what their intentions are. That would be a tough job because I, I think that even the most difficult prospects that are sitting behind their desk with their arms folded are more open to the message <laughs> than the hostage taker. Yeah, there's intent of what's going on. Do they have a, a way out? Uh, on one hand, I think it would be really intriguing and interesting, and I want to try it out. On the other hand, ooh, you've got lives on the line. That would be pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be. Also, too, though, you wonder sometimes if that's kind of an attention thing and they want to talk to somebody. Maybe maybe the guy behind the desk with his arms folded is uh, <laughs> is easier, or, I mean, harder. That's true. They do. They want to talk. They have a message out there, something happening, something's going on, and they want to talk. They want to get it out. And so that, that could be an interesting point to say who's going to be easier to influence. Yeah, well, listening listening wins again. Wins again. The next one is time. So negotiators that slow it down and take more time to make sense of what's going on one step at a time, very methodical as far as getting that voluntary compliance is a long way. And we see that a lot of times in the movies where the police officers just want to go in and shoot everyone versus the hostage negotiators taking time. Let's, let's find out what's going on. I've got this. I've got this. They want to go in and shoot the people. But hey, I've got this. And there's some truth to that. Just taking some time methodically, step by step to earn their trust and find out exactly what's going on. Let let cooler heads prevail, right? Exactly. Get some blood back in their brain because they're being really emotional. Take some time and they realize, oh, this is kind of stupid. I'm surrounded by police. There's no <laughs> way out. They're not really going to give me an airplane. Yeah, right. Uh, I want a helicopter to Panama and $5 million. I could shoot everyone, but that would be the death penalty. So, you know, oh, yeah, maybe it isn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that blood to the brain thing is a real thing. I mean, that's that really happens. It rushes to the limbs, fight or flight, and you're not thinking. It makes a lot of sense in the moment, but once it returns, then you realize, what have I done? Exactly. So that's why time is an issue. The next one is empathy and rapport. Probably knew that one. So trying to influence a behavioral change in a person, it's necessary to understand their current emotions, their behavior, using empathy. They need to see that you understand their perspective. And that's true with any form of influence, obviously, that empathy. When they really know that you care and understand what they're feeling, what they're thinking, that opens the doors to influence and negotiation. It makes a big difference. Oh, good. Yeah. What's the next one? Having influence tools, right? So you can see the situation, learning how to influence, having the right tools, applying a variety of different tools, obviously. And then the last one is control. See, if a person in the crisis, the odd... See, if a person's in crisis, the odds they are feeling something important's missing. And it's usually some type of control, something that they need or they wanted. It wasn't quite there. It wasn't fair. And that pushes them into crisis. So what you want to do is make the person part of the decision-making process that ultimately gets them to go where you want them to go. What we've talked about all the time, help them persuade themselves, help them realize, yeah, I guess it was kind of dumb to rob the bank and take hostages. But they need to figure it out for themselves. That's where the control comes in. Yeah, yeah. We can't not mention that movie, The Negotiator, with Samuel L. Jackson, right? (laughs) I remember there's that similarity in that listening where he gets called in because the guy before him is just butchering it, butchering the situation. And he sees in the, the guy's apartment this picture of when he was in the Marine Corps. And 
So <laughs> he's, he's actually going to the bathroom. He's, he just says, hey, you mind if I use the bathroom? And he goes into the, the guy's kind of disturbed, like, well, what? Okay, fine. And he lets him and he says, you want to hear a joke? A Navy guy and a Marine are going to the bathroom and the Marine gets up to leave. And the Navy man says, hey, in the Navy, they teach us to wash our hands. And the Marine says, in the Marines, they teach us not to pee on our hands. <laughs> right. And the guy laughs and then they're best friends. And oh, yeah. you know, he almost resolves it. But then, of course, the movie takes over. So, but well, that should be the big aha and the takeaway here is in negotiation and persuasion is taking your time, being methodical. We want to get it done in two minutes, but you know, it might be worth the 20 minutes to develop the relationship, the empathy, what you need to do to really help them persuade themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. You talk about an urgent situation. Everybody thinks we got to get up there. We got to fix it right now. He gets to the apartment and before they talk about anything, Hey, can I use the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> talk about being patient, right? So it it is true. It is true. So that's a great article. Anything else you want to add to that? No, use those things, be patient and help them persuade themselves. Excellent. Excellent. So let's get going here. We want to cover a very important topic that we've hit on a few times throughout the podcast because Kurt has a saying, everybody, maybe he said it on the podcast, I don't know. But I think it's great, where he says, closing skills are like trying to get a kiss after a bad date. <laughs> We're going to teach you how to have a good date today. And <laughs> opening skills, how to get people to open up to you, how to get them to like you and trust you a little bit. It all revolves around the science of rapport. I think it's safe to say we know when we have it and when we know when we don't. We do. When they like you, things... Just connect, like the negotiator talking to telling the joke, getting people to laugh, hanging out. But the thing is, when people meet you for the first time, the cement dries fast. Can you replace the cement? Sure, but why? <laughs> it's too much work. Yeah, yeah. You got to get that first 30 seconds down and, and know that you're connecting with them. Know that you're building rapport, and that's what great persuaders do. They get people to like you. It happens with it less than 30 seconds. And that's what you need to do to really understand, to connect with people. When people like you, they're looking for reasons to do business with you. They're looking why they like your product or service. They're looking ways they can implement it versus they don't like you or don't trust you. The exact opposite is true, or they don't want to do business with you. What's wrong with it? Something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your product. Something's wrong with your service. And you get two very different scenarios. And that's just like that day, right? Yep. Closing skills like trying to get a kiss after a bad date. If someone doesn't like you, they don't trust you, and they've had a terrible time, and you still try to get a kiss, that's just like closing skills. If they don't like you and don't trust you, a clever phrase is not going to help you out. <laughs> yes, that's correct. We've talked about the fish on the wall, right? Yes, we have. Yeah, the fish on the wall is it's just the, you know, that shallow talk, and you, you really like to say that people are taking the fish home, they're tired of being asked about it by salespeople. And Really, it comes back to one of those first things you talked about in the article is sincerely listening. Because, wow, if you can really look at the fish and very in a very interested way, because you really are interested, ask the guy about it, game over. You've got the rapport. But if they for a second sniff that you might just be doing it just to do it, total backfire, right? It is, and that's what we have to be careful of. We just going through the motions. Oh, tell me about the fish. Tell me about the trophy. Tell me about your family. And it'll backfire. First of all, when you go into a situation, don't have preconceived judgments. Make sure they feel that you're there to serve and assist them. You're being respectful. Your body language is open. And that your demeanor is genuine. And don't be artificial. People can sense it. I'm going to get away with it. They can't tell. They can tell. They're not going to call you out on it, but they can tell. They can feel it. It's a subconscious trigger, and it'll probably make them feel uncomfortable. Right, right. So 
probably better to not bring up anything if there's nothing in that office or nothing readily apparent that you really care about. If you're going to try to build that similarity thing, care about it. People can smell it. Yeah, if you don't know nothing about the fish on the wall, don't say anything. If you want to ask about their kids and you don't have anything and you don't care and you don't like kids, don't say anything. Right? <laughs> if you hate sports and you want to talk about their football trophy, don't say anything. But if you're sincere and it's genuine and you know something about the topic, it's a great way to build rapport. Yeah. But like you said, it's either going to really help or really hurt. There's no in-between. It's either or. That's right. That's right. We we need to offend somebody today, so I'll I'll offend soccer fans. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, if I went into somebody's office and they had a fish on the wall and then a picture of them at a, a soccer match or something, right? I don't watch soccer. I don't care. You might not like me for that, but I just don't. And I am just going to get killed if I try to pretend like I do. But I love fishing. So I'm going to be able to have a an intelligent rapport building conversation with this guy. That's what you got to do. That's exactly right. Just have a good conversation. Learn to listen. Have that connection, find those similarities, and that's a big part of building rapport. That's right. Similarities. What else can we keep in mind as we as we try to get that rapport clicking? Well, here's some interesting things from just, I guess, basic neuroscience. It's really interesting that when we make the person feel good about themselves or their situation, the dendrite connections between the neurons in the brain physically change, and this forms new neural patterns that get them to like us, cooperate with us, and it changes their mood. So basically, when you get the person to laugh, to smile, feel good, you boost their ego esteem, it changes their brain, and it increases these neural patterns. It gets them to like us, trust us, and it makes it much easier to persuade and influence. So you're, you're literally messing around with the brain chemistry in a good way. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. And there's a couple of ways to do that. First thing you need to know is that mood matters. We've talked a little bit about this. Your mood. If you just had a fight and you put on a fake smile, they're going to sense it. They're not thinking, oh, they just had a fight, but there's something wrong with that subconscious trigger. And their mood. When people are in a negative mood, they recall negative things, why they don't like you, why the product won't work. When they're in a positive mood, they recall positive things, why they like you, why it'll work out. So study after study shows that mood matters. When you're at a table at a restaurant evaluating the food and there's someone across the table that's mean and arrogant and puts you in a bad mood, it affects the food evaluations. This is true in job interviews. When the person before you puts a job interview in a bad mood, that affects your interview. And even in a hotel room, this was really interesting, where the person couldn't see outside what the weather is. They would order room service, and they would come in and say, well, the weather is hot and cloudy, hot and sunny, mm -hmm. cold and cloudy, cold and sunny. <laughs> and the temperature didn't matter, but when they mentioned the sunshine, it dramatically increased their tips. So even talking about sunshine changes mood. We know walking in the sun will dramatically change your mood, but even talking and mentioning it changed mood and changed the tips. Mm, good points. Good points. What else should we keep in mind on, on getting that rapport built? We've got mood. We've got similarity. What about, say, attraction? Sure. How you look, how you're dressed. Well, people shouldn't judge me. Uh, they do. <laughs> now, some things we can fix, some things we can't. We know that facial hair decreases credibility instantly, but some people look good in facial hair. We know with weight could have a factor, your height could have a factor, your clothing have a factor. All of these things come into play. And again, some things we can fix, some things we can't. Fix the things you can, the way you dress, those are things you can fix, but it does matter with your connection with the person. Yeah, that that definitely does the whole attraction thing, and we've we've discussed it on the 
on the podcast before is you don't have to be super attractive to be perceived as attractive, right? It's it's a grooming thing. It's a smell thing. It's a smile thing. Does anything completely just kill a presentation more than somebody opening their mouth and they've got disgusting yellow teeth with something caught in them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned that, but yellow teeth do decrease your credibility. They do. So, yeah. And we can all fix that spinach dip that's stuck in your tooth because a lot of people are just watching and going, Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> They're not going to tell you about it, but you're going to have this thing stuck in your tooth. So something very important I learned a long time ago from Jim Rohn was before every presentation, you're checking your fly, you're checking your teeth, you're checking your eyes, you're checking your nose. That's just common professional presentation skill 101 because you're going to catch yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and even with that rule, I've been on stage before the, for the person front of the do me the little signal that my fly's down. And I've done it. <laughs> I've done it. In fact, I just two weeks ago, I was telling that story saying, you know, I've made mistakes. I have my own blunders. The guy's all, is that why your fly's down now? I'm like, you're kidding. It was down. My fly was down while I was doing the fly down story. <laughs> I didn't plan it. just happened. I'm like, oh, man. Anyway. I bet the point really hit home that time. <laughs> they got a good laugh. I'm like, really? I'm telling a fly down story with my fly down? Yeah. <laughs> Well, th those kinds of things are just absolutely killer. And we talk about it. Some people, the listeners might be rolling their eyes right now, but you can't ever stop doing this. You can't ever get too comfortable or know, or just think, I, I'm good at this. I do it all the time. You have to remember all the time to do these you things the... because they just destroy you. We've talked about colors on the show and yellow is great for fire trucks. It's terrible for teeth, right? <laughs> right. You got to keep it off the teeth and, and, and get some breath mints. Right. Not only is bad breath really terrible, but good breath is really good. It really helps your ability to persuade. That was deep. Bad breath is terrible. Bad good good breath is good. <laughs> yeah. See, it blew Kurt's See? mind. He couldn't even get the words out of his mouth. Right. <laughs> we shorted him so out. You gotta be that. a pilot of persuasion. Just like a pilot goes through a checklist every time. They never skip it. They always do it because that one time you forget the one thing or something happens, that's when disasters occur. That's when it'll get you. There's a system for a reason. That's good stuff, Kurt. It and it, really it makes me remember. I do I have enough breath mints in my car? Do I got floss in there? <laughs> you yeah. check that stuff out. The funny thing is, because like you said, that guy in the front row signaling that your fly's down, most people aren't going to tell you. They're just going to let you flounder around in the <laughs> yeah, deep end, right? right? <laughs> flounder around with your fly down, drooling on yourself, and they're just kind of amused. Like, that's interesting. Yeah, because they can't <laughs> wait after you leave to call their buddy, say, dude, this guy was in here with his fly down. What a moron, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've been that moron. Yes, yeah. we, we all have. <laughs> we all have. So you got to watch yourself there because nobody's going to take care of you. Can't assume so anyway. Exactly. What else on rapport should we be aware of? We've talked about similarity. We've talked about attraction. What else? Well, we know basic people skills. We have to add that to the mix. And uh, let me add one more thing, and this is part of mood, is humor. I spent a lot of time looking at the correlation of humor and persuasion, and it was bigger than I ever thought. It's huge. When you get someone to laugh, when you get someone to smile, there's an instant connection. It creates a positive environment. They participate more. You're more memorable, and they like you better. And it can be that simple. But then on the flip side, as we've said before, with humor, they're either going to laugh with you or feel sorry for you, right? There's no in-between with humor, too. You're either really good at what you do 
or you're going to repel them. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you can do. Now, something about humor is that you can borrow humor. If there's a comic or a YouTube video, you can put in a presentation to get people to smile. That still works. It doesn't have to be your humor. But the ability to get people to smile and like you increases that connection. It makes a huge difference with your ability to persuade them. Definitely, definitely. Good humor is great. Bad humor is bad. Another profound quote from me. Yeah, we'll be thinking about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't break you this time. So that's all good stuff. We ought to move on. We're running out of time here on the show. It's time for the blunder. Cue up the Homer. All right, Homer, go. Go, go, go. You know, I did watch an episode of The Simpsons the other day. Oh, yeah, episode 2012. Yeah, it's a lot of them. I'm sure it inspires a lot of confidence in the listeners knowing that <laughs> one of their hosts watches The Simpsons. But... It's where you get your material, right? That's where you learn how to persuade from Homer. Yeah, I mean, little do they know that most of the stuff we talk about the show is from The Simpsons. <laughs> That's right. That's our plug for The Simpsons for letting us use their dough. <laughs> That's, that was a pretty good dough. So <laughs> there, here, here's another great life tip. I know that we've been just full of them today relating to your blunder that you got coming up. If you're going to have a bunch of road rage, don't put your phone number on your car. That's exactly right. Yeah. So driving down the freeway, minding my own business, and I just watched this other car. It was a van with the number on the side and what they do, and it cuts off a car. And this car gets upset, gets next to you, and I think birds were exchanging, went back and forth, and they were speeding. It looks like they were trying to ram each other, and and they kept going at it and getting more angry and more angry. And I, I finally lost interest, and I had to get off. But I was just thinking, talk about association triggers. Everyone's watching this. So first of all, the person they cut off, We'll never do business with them. They'll probably tell five, six, seven people, can you believe this company driving this van, what they did for me? All the people watching it. So if you are going to be in a car with your name on it or have any identification at all, you have to be careful because if you make a mistake, if you cut somebody off, that person's going to be angry at you, then angry at the business, and it can really hurt your reputation in the community. Yeah. If you got your phone number in your car, drive the speed limit and use your turn signal. Just <laughs> exactly. words to live by. And that's exactly right. It's good to have that. It's good advertising. It's just like any type of endorsement. Endorsements are great when they're not smoking weed or being pedophiles or doing other things. When they are good and people like them, it's a great thing. But when they cross that line, it has the opposite effect. So be very careful that association trigger. It can be a positive thing, but it can also be a negative thing. Yeah, yeah. Because like we talked about earlier, the blood gets out of the brain. You do dumb things and the consequences can be pretty, pretty bad. I was on a bus in New Jersey once with some clients and we're headed back towards Newark airport and I won't give all the details, but a guy got cut off by the bus. It was his fault and he was not happy about this. And so at the next intersection we're stopped and he decides he's going to get out of his car and he's banging on the bus door, one of those <laughs> glass bus doors. He's, he's yelling blankety blank. I mean, we're in New Jersey. This is all normal. Right. <laughs> it's normal behavior, yeah. And he winds up and he punches a hole through the glass and shatters the whole bus door. Wow, with his hand? Yeah, blood gushing everywhere. And uh, I stood up and I told him, Hey pal, this went a lot further than it needed to. You need to get in your car. Look what everybody's doing right now. And about three people on the bus are calling nine one one. The color drained from his face and blood started going back to his brain and he realized Oh man, <laughs> yeah, this just got out of control. But uh, yeah, it, road rage is is tough because hey, you know what? In the guy's defense, in everybody's defense, has road rage. There's a lot of idiot drivers out there. 
And it might be justified, but it never works out. <laughs> yeah, we had just offended the idiot drivers. They're listening to the show. They're swerving around, yelling at us right now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> trying to road rage us. They just can't get to us. Yeah, That's a good yeah. thing about doing a podcast. Too bad, guys. Too bad. We're not out there. <laughs> Well, that's good, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show today. That was episode 111 of Maximize Your Influence. We talked about rapport. We talked about road rage, hostage negotiation. I mean, what would it be if it wasn't a super random show with lots of random topics? Absolutely. Yeah. And the Christmas capital of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who could forget the German Christmas capital in Michigan? You got to listen. I mean, if you're just tuning in now, you got to you know rewind to the beginning of the show. Otherwise, it's crazy. <laughs> so... Follow us on Twitter. Influence Max is our Twitter handle. We've got a Facebook page as well that you can check out articles and a lot of the goofy pictures that we post up there. Send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com if you have ideas. Uh, if you want to be a guest on the show, sometimes we're willing to entertain that too. If you've got something good to say, if you've got a good show yourself or you're a, an author of some kind. And then as always, questions. We like to answer good questions on the show from time to time. Please send them to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode. Catch you next week. Bye.